0: You're listening to 3CR Radio.
1: You're on interface Your on 3CR with James, joined by Mama Alto. Hello. You're an amazing singer. I oh, absolutely you. loved an audience with Billie Holiday. Oh, I watched some of the so tracks on, on, on YouTube. Right. So you are so yes. busy. Yeah, it, that's the life of a diva. <laughs> so you betrayed Billie Holiday and obviously you really connected with her. Yes. Why was that?
0: Well, uh, Billie Holiday has always been one of my uh, favourite singers because she has such a magnificent pathos and such a wonderful way of balancing and expressing the mixture of triumph and tragedy, of joy and sorrow, that is really at the heart of what it is to be human. And um, she defied any kind of stereotyping because a lot of people would look at her... And as a person who lived in multiple marginalities, as a racialized minority, as a sexualized minority, as a gendered minority.
1: Nowadays they call it intersections.
0: Yeah, intersections. Um, Of course, the theory from the great Kimberly Crenshaw of intersectionality. But as a person who lived at all of those different intersections and who would be stereotyped by society. She used her art to resist that and speak back to that in such a powerful way. So not only her musicality I loved, but also that that philosophy and ethos behind the art. But that that was um that was two or three years that ago now. Chapel that show yes, it's almost like
1: wonderful. It's almost like you've transcended into into something else now. Tell us how it kind of just fits because it seems to that your upcoming shows are kind of a natural progression from Billie
0: Holiday. I think so. I think, of course, any any performing artist or singer or musician, they, their shows have an evolution from where at the very start of your career, you're clinging very closely to your influences or your inspirations. And sometimes, like in that case, portraying them in the theatre. And then as you evolve more, you bring more and more of yourself to it. So it's less about seeing what you relate to in someone else and more about It's like an archaeology of the self, looking at your own identity, looking at what's important to you and about how sharing that and taking what's on the inside and putting it on the outside to its most most fabulous, most sparkly, most out there, most whatever it is, you know, can then help others. So storytelling is a big part of your show. Yeah. Tell us how that works. As a cabaret performer who works in the cabaret more now rather than in strictly music venue or strictly capital T theatre, cabaret has this wonderful layered effect where through the storytelling you are on the very surface you're performing the song and, you know, it might be pretty music or it might be vocal pyrotechnics or something that's great to listen to on a surface level. And then at a level underneath that you're telling and bringing something of yourself and your life and your identity and your lived experiences into the music. And so audience members might come in and say oh this is pretty music this is great or this is sexy night out or I'm enjoying this on that level. They might then delve a little deeper and see that actually what the singer is is telling and singing on the stage has a bearing on their life and times. And, and then at a deeper Neil level Cole again.
1: On an audience with Billy Holiday, and he's a former politician, so any any narrative that he writes is going to have a strong yes, political yes. bent. So you're no stranger to politics in your work.
0: No, no. Well that was so three years ago I did that show, but before that I was doing my own independent work, which these ones are as well. And always bringing that politic because the third level of the cabaret underneath those two levels is that what you're actually doing is telling a story that's about the audience and about their lived lives and experiences and maybe affirming something that they do and um, affirming their lived experiences as valid in whatever their identity is. Or maybe confronting something that they're doing that is actually harmful to other people. You're working with Miss Chief in yes. the upcoming show. How would you two get together? So she's a wonderful pianist, and uh, me and her have been working together now for seven years. Almost all of my shows have been with her. And um, she's a she's magnificent jazz-trained pianist. She learnt from jazz greats, including Steve Sedagreen and Monique Martina. And we met at – it was this jam session – that used to run, it was this freezing cold brick warehouse in um, in the northern part of Melbourne near La Trobe Street where all of those old industrial buildings are. And those wind tunnels. And those wind tunnels. And it was it was so cold always. And during the day it was an art gallery, um, this big converted warehouse space. Just all the brick walls had been whitewashed and, and so then they would hang things on them and it was an art gallery by day. And then at night, it was a jazz jam session every Friday night. Because, so great acoustics in there. Yeah. And just inexplicably, there was this Steinway nine-foot grand piano in the middle of the room and a little gas heater. And that was it. That was wow. kind of all that was there. Wow. And um I used to sing there and jam with some people. And she used to sing there and jam with some people and play the piano. And... uh And then one day, I think it was they had a little Christmas function and I was singing something and she came up to me after singing. She said, oh, I really want to work with you. This is great. So we started at the South Melbourne Butterfly Club together doing cabaret performances there. And then um, it just all took off from there. From there we were invited to do the Melbourne Fringe Festival, which we did at the Butterfly Club, and then the Melbourne Cabaret Festival. And then things just kept happening. So here we are. So what's Seven your favorite festival? Oh, that's such a political question. It's that's political, really. I, yeah. Really? You know, the politics of selecting a favorite. Because all of these festivals really have beautiful core teams of people behind them. And, and I guess it and it's a And it's actually, actually in the end just that. individuals who work so hard to bring to bring these platforms for artists. But and I've been very lucky to perform at some really incredible festival. Yeah. The Melbourne Fringe Festival, which The 31st edition of which is coming up this year uh, at the end of September, start of October, is a wonderful festival. The Stonington Jazz Festival, which I absolutely adore. Um, The Castlemaine State Festival, I love. That one's fabulous. Because that would be kind
1: of like um, old buildings and big wood fires, I would imagine. Yes, but with
0: some of the most contemporary art you could ever And just a sense of history on the gold
1: fields as well.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and name. I think I have two favourites as much you as everyone else, wow. as much as all the others will be heartbroken and offended, um, especially if they're listening. <laughs> um, my two favourite festivals that I've had the privilege of performing at one is the Marysville Jazz and Blues Festival, and it will be the it will be the third year this year of the Marysville Jazz and Blues Festival. And Marysville, of course, is a beautiful country town which. Burnt down. Was completely razed down during the Black Saturday bushfires. On that terrible day. And um, when they. The core economy of Marysville was always, always tourism um, since the 1930s. And they rebuilt the town entirely after the bushfires, but they were struggling to get tourists to come back. And that was the backbone of this community. So they got together a volunteer committee to try and think, how can we get Marysville back on people's minds after being shut for business for three years? And they said, what if we host fabulous events? So there's at least one a month, uh, different kinds of events. There's a heritage car rally and there's a a five-kilometre marathon. and And this was working. This was bringing a few people, but it wasn't really having that wow factor. So they said, what if we host... A jazz and blues festival, and we'll invite some of our favourites who we've seen in Melbourne and Sydney and Castlemaine and Bendigo to come and perform in Marysville. So we got invited to play there with another with the we did a Billie Holiday show at Melbourne Recital Centre that I wrote and put together, where we celebrated a hundred years of Billie Holiday, and one of the people from the committee was in the audience as well as Miss Chief's family coming from Buxton, outside of Marysville. So they got in touch with us and said, would you come and bring that show exclusively to Marysville? And that will be the only other place other than the recital centre where people can see. So we did that and it was a fabulous two-day festival, heaps of artists from Melbourne and Sydney. And it was the first weekend since the fires that every bed and breakfast, every motel, every caravan park, every hotel in the Marysville region was booked out which is what it always was. So we've been back every year, and we're going back this October to that. And, um, you know, it's an amazing story of how this community came together and started using art and culture to rebuild their economy. To transcend from the disaster. Yeah, so that's one of my favourite festivals because it's so special, you know, and there's a great joy to it of a community coming together, which is what a festival should be. My other favourite was the Havana International Festival in Cuba. I was going to say. Which um, me and Miss Chief, as part of Finnecane and Smith, who we work with a lot. You work with Maura Finnecane? Yes. We've been working with Maura for four years now. Wow. We're company members of the Glory Box. And we went over there to headline the Havana International Festival. She's almost
1: got a salsa thing happening sometimes,
0: doesn't she? Yeah. So she, in her early performing arts career, she had a lot of attention in Latin America and she performed some of her biggest shows, have been over there. And so, the, and being raised Irish Catholic, the Catholicism, the ritual, the matriarchy, the ideas around the Virgin Mary, the ideas around the feminine as holy but also grotesque, that really collided with her interest in burlesque. So she's had a strong Latin American connection and then when she was invited to Havana she called me and she said... Have you got your passport ready?" she said. I said, "Oh, where are we going?" "Havana." I said, "Oh, wow, and off we went." Speaking of politics and political places, wow, mm, Havana. So, yeah. what were the, what were the audiences like there? The audience, we had a beautiful audience every night for 2 weeks, 400 people a night, um, in this 1958 cabaret club. And was that before Obama's visit which or was after? It was just before Wow. It was just it was just optimism as well. There was a lot of optimism, there was a lot of uncertainty about what that would mean. Um, so you know, at the time there was still a lot of embargoes. So we were as festival performers, we we're employees of the Cuban government and they came to get us through customs because there's still a lot of embargoes about who can travel in and out and what you can bring with you and but the festival itself was amazing because the culture there there's a kind of underground of undercurrent, I should say, of religious culture that is descended from medieval Spanish Catholicism that Mm. prioritizes the Virgin Mary as more interesting than, say, the Holy Trinity, as well as these religious elements that have blended syncretically with it from West Africa, which look at the five river spirits, the Orisha, who are these powerful feminine divinities. And um, combined with native Taino indigenous Cuban beliefs about the matriarchy and the transferal of power down the female line. So a voodoo kind of element mm. in there as well. But something that really prioritises the feminine mm. and the ritualistic and the performative ritual, which in a way is very sympathetic to what the glory box is about, which is about femininity and all of its forms and powers. So they just really got the glory box, you know, as soon as we were as soon as we were there trying to explain with the aid of our two translators what the show was, people just got it and they responded in a very generous generous and beautiful way during the performances because they just got that. Sometimes an audience in Australia to try and get them on that journey with you in the glory box where they recognise that femininity exists as this huge mosaic or this huge spectrum that can contain many identities and many ideas and many philosophies and and many aspects, be that traditional ones like delicacy and maternity, or less traditional in the western canon ideas of the grotesque or the powerful or the strong or you know sometimes Western audiences need need you to hold their hands a little bit to get that, but because of this culture in Havana. Um, to do with the Black Madonna and to do with the Orisha and to do with matriarchies, they were on board from the start. So that was a really interesting experience. And one of the songs from that performance that we did in Cuba, which um, which won um the Hamako Award for the Best International Touring Hamaco Production. Awards. So the Hamako Awards, they're the Cuban equivalent of the American Tony Awards. Wow. And the Finnegan and Smith Tour to Cuba, which we were on, won the award for Best International Production. But one of the songs that we did in that um, in that tour and in the glory box, Wild is the Wind, which um, Miss Chief and I do our own version, is one of the highlights of this show that we're doing at the National Theatre um, on September 2nd, um, which is the National Theatre commissioned us to come along and as part of their season program do a gala performance to try and bring – because it's a beautiful heritage space. It's absolutely gorgeous. And they wanted us to not just perform in the auditorium but also bring the Foyers to life with this Jazz Age cocktail party that will be part of the evening as it well as our very performances. Luxurious. Yeah, but they wanted some of our best moments as well as some new moments. So in our program of songs throughout the night, we've got some of them are highlights from the last seven years for us, like this Wild is the Wind moment that we had in Cuba and then other ones are new interpretations where we've taken pop songs and soul songs but rendered them into our jazz cabaret style. So I'm really looking forward to it. The High Court permitting, uh, you will be performing during
1: the height, if you like, of the campaign around the postal survey yes. on same-sex marriage. Uh, will there be any messaging about that in your shows? I think
0: I think there has to be. Yeah. I think there has to be. Um. Our show's on September 2nd, and I believe the mail-out begins September 10, 11, 12. And the 12, high court case on the 5th 6th. And or the, the high 6th. court on the 5th and 6th. But your
1: other show is later in September, yeah. early
0: October, so presumably that so, will be in the thick of it. Yes, so we'll be in the final two fortnights of the high court campaign and mm. then the final fortnight before the ballots arrive. If it, is, if it progresses, And um, it looks likely. Yes. Well, I don't know. I'm just not sure how it, it's, it's farcical but I'm not sure how the High Court can stop it at this point. Um, I hope that they can. I sincerely hope that they can. But with these shows that we're doing over the next couple of months, starting with Exquisite on September 2nd in the lead-up of the campaign, well, when the mail-out, if the mail-out happens 10th, 11th, 12th of September, advice um, that I have received is that the campaigning really must happen in the lead-up to the mail-out. By the time people have received their mail-out, um, a lot of minds will be made up. So definitely on September 2nd, I will be continuing to tell people at the show and during the show because I've never been afraid to get political in my shows. And like um, I believe it was the great, um, the great uh, parliamentarian Kerner the state parliamentarian, former premier of Victoria, yes, who, who died said, sadly, sadly, last year I think mm, it was, and one of, but one of her quotes that was shared a lot in her eulogies, and I believed, according to her instructions, her, um, her, uh, you know, for her posthumous remembrance, she wanted people to remember that amazing quote that she did, where to not be political is itself a political act that condones. Um, whatever wrongdoings people are doing, and that personal and political things can never be separated from minorities, which I thought was an, she articulated it better than almost anyone else. And so for me, just by being who I am, by being a trans and gender diverse person, by being a queer person, by being a mixed race person, so many issues that are political are also personal. So if someone is coming to see me sing um, and expecting not to get any political messages, whether they're implicit or very explicit, and in the lead up to this campaign, they're going to be very explicit, I think that's misguided because it overlooks the idea that what is personal is by necessity political. And if someone feels that The personal and the political don't ever collide in that way, they have a great privilege because they're in a group who is protected and normalised and cushioned by social norms. So, if they can't see that, it's often the duty of artists to make them see that. You know, people will receive a political message through art much more readily than they might through lectures or protests or someone being very didactic. Art has a way of opening people's souls up, you know, opening up their rib cages and getting to their heart so that it's a communication between two human hearts rather than a battle of ideologies, something much bigger. But, you know, on the point of ideologies, I I think there's a lot of deliberately deceptive ideologies flying around in Especially the no with the campaign. rise of
1: fascism through Trump, yes. but also, which is emboldened the no campaign in lots mm-hmm. of ways, hasn't it? You know? And they're framing
0: well, it Tony around freedom. Well, Tony literally, Abbott himself literally connected mm. political correctness and this vote. And, and saying, you know, vote
1: no if you're not happy with the government. Vote no if you believe mm. in freedom of speech.
0: And so there are a lot of very, false ideologies because... Yes. And ideologies that are deliberately alarmist and deceptive because at the end of the day, this vote is about whether we see each other as equal, whether we see each other as equally human, and it comes down to whether we believe that consenting adults, which is something the No campaign has made a great deal of fuss about. They talk about children. They talk about animals. In one widely publicised example, they talked about the Sydney Harbour Bridge, and this is what I mean by farcical, it's just ludicrous, because what we're talking about here is two consenting adults sharing their love and having their rights as each other's next of kin, protected by law. Which at the moment, either even under civil union and registry status, which some states such as Tasmania have, these things have been prove, proven that... um. Governments and authorities and police forces and births, deaths and marriages does not treat registry or union the same way that they treat heterosexual marriage. So it's about consenting adults to consenting adults equally having their rights as next of kin enshrined in the law because of a loving partnership uh, and devotion. And that's it. That's it at the end of the day in combination with believing that humans are are all equally human and deserving of the same rights as each other. You know, and a lot of the things that I'm hearing, a lot of the false ideologies and deliberately harmful, deliberately discriminatory ideologies from the right, firstly, some of those things that we're hearing, that we're seeing on posters, that we're seeing on social media. The news posters in Melbourne Laneway yeah. this week, that was very alarming. With the incorrect statistics, um, doctored statistics to suit their cause. Very alt-right. Firstly, I wonder whether these these campaigns, are they actually using the Vote No campaign as an excuse to spread hate and terrorise queer youth and push them over the brink? Often to their deaths, because there is a part of the alt-right, or just the right, as we could call them, for whom it's not a matter of denying marriage rights. They actually want queer people to cease to exist. And they're using this campaign as an emboldened excuse to get that word out there, because in no other circumstance would discrimination law in this country or any civilised country allow them to get that message out there. But secondly, what strikes me about these campaigns, these are the exact same things we were hearing um, in campaigns for Indigenous recognition, in campaigns for citizenship rights for people born overseas, in campaigns for mixed-race miscegenated marriages. These are the exact same arguments um, that Jim Crow law in the US and that laws here until the 1967 referendum and even more recent laws here about mixed marriages and immigration, these are the exact same campaign messages that were trotted out to try and prove that people of colour and people born in foreign nations and people who are not white Anglo-Australians are somehow automatically social Darwinist hierarchy ideologically inferior to other groups of people. And, What should have been a very simple parliamentary process whereby parliamentarians directly represent their constituents in a representative democracy where over 60% of people support marriage equality has turned into a way for the far-right dinosaurs who are hidden amongst almost all of the major political parties in this country. It doesn't actually come down to a partisan issue but several parties who should know better who should be shining a light on the hill, shall we say, are sheltering these ideas and these people. Otherwise it would have happened in previous administrations in the last 10 years. We're Um, 14 years behind Canada and exactly scary, isn't it? And so it is actually a way for the far-right forces not just to deny equality and human rights to a certain segment of the population, but to advance the ideology that some people are less equal than others. And that's disgusting. So, of course, in in all my upcoming performances, that will be a through thread, because how can somebody come and expect entertainment from someone who does not have the same rights as them? You know, it's exactly the same situation as during civil rights, people would pay to see Sarah Vaughan or Nina Simone or Aretha Franklin despite receiving entertainment from them, would still believe that they were an inferior type of human being. Which takes us full circle to Billie Holiday because that's mm. what she was transcending and singing about. And that art of, of torch singing, of cabaret performance, is, a, is always about those identity and, and political layers within songs. It's never just about a pretty song. It's ultimately about a form of very open and vulnerable communication. Mama
1: Alto, thank you so much for joining me today thank on Free Thank you 3CR, for having me. People can catch you at the National
0: Theatre yes. in St Kilda on September, September 2nd. 2nd. And so the show's called Exquisite, An Evening with Mama Alto, because when the National Theatre commissioned us, they went through all of our reviews um, from the past seven years before commissioning us to make sure that we were top quality <laughs> before they commissioned us. And this word exquisite kept popping up in the reviews. So they named the night Exquisite, An Evening with Mama Alto. And I would love for... Um, for the listeners of In Your Face to offer if you book online at the National Theatre website um, and use the code LOVE, all capital letters, one word, M-A-M-A-L-O-V-E, because love is what the world needs right now in the face of so much hate. If you use that promo code, you'll have access to your discount tickets at, at um, 75% off the oh, market wonderful. price because I want to share the love. Mama Alto, thank you so much for joining me. I love your spirit.
1: Thank and, you. And uh, your show sounds absolutely awesome.
0: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to dot crorgau